yo, yo, yo. What's We're good? We're back here. Welcome back to the uh, famous podcast, Hunter for Shut Up, brought to you by the National Symposium for Debate. It's been a while. I'm uh, one of your hosts. Too long. Too long. And uh, yeah, that's the almighty uh, Paul Zell. And we're excited to be back. We're going to talk about some cool stuff. We have some breaking news uh, from TOC Tab staff, uh, as well as what you should do for the summer uh, between now and the season to get kind of get prepared, as well as uh, some talks about uh, judge adaptation. Um, yeah, but first, can't wait. But first, uh, got to get a little plug-in for our sponsor, NSD. So there's a bunch of camps being offered. Uh, the flagship, which is um, at University of Minnesota from the 25th to the from June 25th to July 15th, uh, which is um, which is going to be awesome. Uh, NSD Philadelphia, which is from July 16th to July 29th at Bryn Mawr. Uh, it's it's great. I had a great time lab leading there last year. Um, small smaller labs are really good for individual attention. Obviously, NSD Texas, same same thing. Same time uh, at UT San Antonio. We also urge you to check out the rest of our camps, like our middle school institute, our public forum institute, and uh, Congress Institute at the National Symposium for Debate.com. Cool. So let's get right into it. Breaking news uh, coming from the. And this brings you to the latest breaking news update live here from Brunswick, Maine. Uh, I can report to you that there was, in fact, an email sent uh, from the TOC tab staff, from Lincoln Garrett, explaining a few new changes. Uh, the first ones are some interesting uh, draconian uh, time time rules, which are just like <laughs> light A debaters are eligible to forfeit a debate if they're not present in the room they're debating in one minute after the round, uh, which is... I get it. I get it. They're trying to crack down. Yeah, yeah. And LB is really, really bad historically yeah. about running on time. Yeah, yeah. So I, I understand it. Uh, so I guess everyone needs to kind of stay on top of that. Um. Also, uh, there's strike cards for elimination rounds, and that they need to be returned ten minutes after their release. Uh, nothing too crazy there. Uh, you have to flip 15 minutes before the uh, rounds announce, which I think is interesting. Um, and then there's uh, a, a big new change uh, in regards to diversity in judging, which I think is really interesting. Um, and I'll just read what they said. They said, the University of Kentucky strongly supports a diverse and inclusive academic environment. As such, the tournament champions values the principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion with regard to tournament practices. In particular, the TOC seeks to offer a diverse and inclusive judge pool. Uh, examples of diversity-enhancing measures include utilization of diversity enhancement functions on tabroom.com, uh, etc. And then I think the, mo the most important part is that the tabulation staff will seek to enhance the diversity of preliminary as well as elimination round judges' assignments. These efforts uh, will seek to balance the goals of inclusion with the policy of mutual preference judging. Um, and then it says, as a point of clarification, the position does not imply that judges should be used over their commitment, but the tab room will seek to actively use those judges uh, where they're obligated and pay them um, for extra rounds. So I think this is... Um, I think this is really interesting. I think, first of all, I think this is definitely addressing uh, definitely kind of a problem that there, there is uh, in debate. There's a lot of underrepresented yeah. minorities in yeah. debate. And, um, Super and real. 
I think it's and definitely a real thing. The the email itself gives like an example of um, like a uh, a prep sheet where literally every black judge is either lowly prepped or struck, uh, and that's not some like bogeyman. Like that's what a good portion of like a lot of the debating pool what their prep sheets look like, uh, and that's a re- very real problem and and you know something that we gotta work to address. Yeah, I think a few things that were interesting about it. Um... I'm, I'm a little bit interested to see, uh, I want to see a follow-up email from Tab, I'd say, because uh, it's, it's pretty vague about how they're going to implement this policy. And um, we've known that at TOC, rules, vagueness of rules is definitely a no-no. Like, it's definitely been bad uh, in past years. Um, Those are and, flame wars, Sam. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just saying, it's just important to have rules. So I'm, so I'm interested to see how they kind of codify this. Um, uh, because I think it's best to have these rules kind of outlined before, so, so, there's, so that no one can even complain either way, uh, and that uh, so there can be no nothing, no grounds to even complain. Um, yeah, no, for so, sure. I think being very clear and consistent about how the rules are going to be applied uh, is crucial for any competitive setting. Uh, and I'm not really like I'm I'm unsure what exactly it means to have a prep sheet that is sort of, you know, against these rules. Like, I don't know what is, what a low prep is uh, or, right. you know, to what right. extent. So I have um, uh, one of my one of my friends actually emailed um, Greg Malice to get some further clarification. Um, and Greg basically just kind of laid out, uh, he explained that they still haven't really uh, locked in the specifics yet. They're working on that. They're in the process of that. Um, and just that kind of explained the premise a little bit more that like, it's not that it's not necessarily that there will be not mutual prefs. Um, it's, uh, it's, and it's obviously, uh, so it's, so the situation kind of breaks down. Like, let's say you and a, and another debater get a mutual one. Um, and there happens to be a mutual three who has opted in, uh, to be, uh, recognized as an underrepresented minority. Um, and uh, this ballot would then get moved to them, even though they're a mutual three, uh, it would get moved to them. Um, so I think it's interesting. Okay. I think definitely, I think definitely uh, some people might be opposed to that, thinking that uh, it might, like, it, it could just influence how people, like, prep people's prepping strategies and, and things of that nature. People might strategically prep people lower. Um, and I think, I think it's, I think it's just playing along the philosophy that some people view, pre- uh, prefs as a strategy, uh, and some people view prefs as just a statement of wh- who you want to judge. So I think it just plays into that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think as long as they're not violating mutuality, uh, it's, it's not, you know, right. a bridge too far. It's and from what I've understood, lot. they're not going to go lower than threes, um, mm-hmm. from what I've understood. So... Yeah, I think it's definitely yeah. interesting. Um, I mean, it's not it's the, this kind of system, you know. I, it's popped around a bunch. I know. I think sure. New York has a system similar to this uh, at does. their tournament. Blake has, Blake has a system. Okay. Yeah. No reference to Blake's system that they're trying to emulate. Yeah. Um, so it's it's you know it's not unheard of this kind of system. It's uh, just an interesting. It's just an interesting change in the TOC's policy, at least. Uh, so I th- I thought it'd be interesting to acknowledge. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, cool. So I don't really have much more to say on that. <laughs> no, I think uh, we're good. 
so there you have it. There's our breaking news. Uh, you heard it from the source. Uh, <laughs> Straight from the um, horse's mouth. Yeah. Cool. So what are we covering next? Oh, yeah. Uh, summer, summer improvement. So, yeah. Go ahead. Sure. I mean, you know, it's the it's pretty much the off season for most people unless you have a national tournament to prepare for either Cat Nats, uh, NFLs, or TOC. Uh, but for most people, uh, the season's kind of over and you're left with a glut of time, uh, too much free time on your hands, uh, especially when summer rolls around and you haven't started camp yet. Uh, so a lot of things people uh, debaters fail to utilize is this extra time uh, in terms of improvement. Um, and we're going to you know, try and talk about different plans to make the best use of your, your time over the summer. Um, and I think the most important thing here... Uh, regardless of the content, is to have some sort of a plan. Yeah. Uh, you need an idea of what your goals uh, and methods for achieving those goals are going to be over the summer. Uh, too often, you know, people try to improve uh, activities with, without a real direction. Uh, you're just kind of, maybe you just do a billion practice rounds that aren't really like, you know, don't have a, a clear idea of what you're trying to get out of those rounds. You're just hoping to sort of magically improve by debate at uh, debate through repetition. And, you know, while that's obviously going to help, anyone who does a million practice rounds is going to get better debate. It's not the most optimal use of your time. You want to have specific things you are trying to get better at over the summer. So, you yeah. know, maybe you want to work on your mechanics, your, your technical ability, uh, how fast you are. Or maybe you want to prove in a, a specific content area. So you want to get better at the K-debate. Uh, but knowing exactly what your strengths and weaknesses are going into the summer and and understanding which ones you want to target to improve specifically uh, is crucial for improving over the summer. Yeah, and I think I think a great um, the resource... Uh, so I think, I, yeah, I, I just want to kind of echo what you say, first of all, in that, yeah, it's very important to make a plan. Always uh, think about, emphasize things that you want to get better at. Um, and I think a great way to do that is there's a lot of great online resources uh, for debaters. Like the valleycriterion.com has like a bunch of uh, free like frameworks online to look at. Um, I know there's um, like debate drills, has a bunch of like rebuttal redos. Obviously a bunch of websites have a, bu uh, have a bunch of videos of rounds. Um, a lot of good drills is you can watch rounds, uh, pick a speech and, do and redo that speech. Or like you can watch the round up to the 2NR and then give the 2NR yourself uh, or 1AR, 2AR. Um, any of those things, uh, watch how the debater does it and then yeah. kind, of, kind of do it. Yeah. I think I mean, really, anyways. really now more than ever debaters have, uh, more resources to improve at this activity. Like I remember when I was a freshman, there were like five videos online, maybe like five to 10. I don't know. I'd watch those like three times each. Uh, but like now, like I'm, like there's so many rounds recorded, right? Like if you're if you're not watching at least some of those, you're really wasting uh, a, a gift. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and and but like I said, it can't be it can't be that you just watch every debate round. Um, yeah, it can't right. be, it can't be, it can't be that you uh, just watch debate rounds in general. It needs to be that you watch debate rounds, you flow them, you watch specific rounds with objectives. Uh, you do drills with specific rounds, like, dang, I really need to get better at giving the 2NR versus, uh, you know, two shells in the 1AR. Um, and uh, I just think it's a, I think it's it's really important to focus on certain things. Yeah. 
Um, another helpful thing, in addition to sort of watching rounds and, and having a very targeted approach to watching rounds, but uh, in addition to that, uh, summer is a good opportunity to get uh, like reading that you've been meaning to do out of the way. Um, so this can be you know literature that you're planning on using. For example, if you want to be into Kantian political philosophy, Force and Freedom by Ripstein, probably a good book to read or have read yeah, uh, and have in your arsenal. Chapter 7 and 11, more specifically, because it's a 400-page <laughs> book. I wouldn't read the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, maybe you want it. Some people are into that. Maybe. Uh, yeah, or like, you know, if you're losing to Afro-pessimism, you might want to read Red, White, and Black by Wilderson. Uh, like, yeah, it, that kind of thing. Uh, it's just, I mean, you have free time. Reading's always good. And reading also helps you just be by virtue of, like, reading comprehension is actually kind of important in debate. It's an undervalued it's skill. Like, a very undervalued skill. Being able to like read, you know, through their cards and like understand the gist of what they're saying quickly uh, is, I mean, it's it's a really difficult thing to do. And and the more you practice it, the better you get at it uh, at just digesting cases quickly. Um, and that's something that needs to be practiced. Um, and it'll help you with your SATs, you know. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's super important. Um, what else? Uh, another uh, uh, other stuff you could do is is read with with people, with your teammates, with your coaches. It's yep. al- it's always really because I mean some of this literature, right? I mean it's dense. Yeah, it's really, exactly. It's really good to go through it together with someone. Uh, yep. And kind of like reading group style, I think that's super effective. Um, yeah, because a lot of the literature is just you can feel really helpless very quickly if you're if you're you know swimming alone essentially. Yeah. If you're not, and if you're not understanding um, altogether literature, there's videos on YouTube, there's lectures, stuff like that. Like, even honestly, even when I'm writing like college papers, I always go on YouTube and look up explanations. Of stuff. Yeah, I look on YouTube. I use YouTube to write a write a paper. Like, I was ju- I was just writing a paper about Descartes, and I needed some extra explanation about the ontological argument, so I <laughs> went on YouTube. Obviously, cited my source. You have to cite yeah. that source, people. Of course. Um, Sam's a model yeah, student. I'm a model student. Um, yeah, so I think, I think there's really so many resources out there, um, content wise and mechanics wise to kind of get better. Um, yeah. Um, and then one other thing I think is really useful is, uh, prepping. It might seem weird to prep without a topic, but a lot of generic files that can be applied, uh, across topics, uh, such as K files that apply to most apps, such as Afro-pessimism or security. Or not, security doesn't apply to most apps, but it applies on every topic. Yeah. There's always util debaters out there. Or just like, or just like theory stuff. Like, yeah, theory. I, like, I guarantee you 99% of our, of our listeners don't have a file that says uh, arguments that the 2NR should make on weighing 1NR theory. Write that out. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, write out your counterinterps, you know? Uh, just literally sit down and just write out what you're, what the most common things people write against you, like, and just, just pre-write it. It just makes things so much easier. Right. I mean, that's how, you know, a lot of times there's people bring up the sort of big school, small school disparity or what have you. Uh, like they have so many back files or resources and, and how that happens is because one kid one year decided I'm just going to have the best theory file and then they wrote it. 
and then that got passed down and the next set of kids, you know, added on to it and what have you. But someone has to start that whole process and that could be. Yeah, man. People say small schools, big schools. That that Scarsdale theory file that everyone uses was like literally just written by Grant Ryder. Yep. Like he just single-handedly wrote it. Uh, even though it has Benjamin's name in the in the thing, also. Uh. And even if you go to a big school and you have a theory file, still write one. It'll make you a better theory debater. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Most random theory files are pretty bad. Writing your own is really helpful because you can yeah. you want shells that you're gonna go for. Yeah. Like it's crazy. I still have that Scarsdale theory file just to do drills, and it's so outdated. I can't even find shells to read for drills. Yeah. <laughs> It's to the point where there's not even one shell I can really read in there. Like, what am I going to read? Nibs bad? I haven't heard Nibs bad read since the Vietnam War. Like, I, I, no one reads Nibs bad anymore. It's a plank, maybe. But have you, have you heard anybody read Nibs bad in the past, like, three years? Uh, well, I've, I've heard people read what is essentially Nibs bad, which is, they just, instead of saying Nibs bad, because so many people read, like, interplot type arguments, saying that, what is a nib? Or, you know, it's necessary for you. It's You've the heard for people me. read stuff like Impact and Link Turnable? Like, all arguments are Link and Impact Turnable? I no, no, no. The, no, what instead I've heard is people reading, just listing the arguments. Like, you can't read this, this, and this. And th- they'll just yeah, be nibs, and the standards are essentially nibs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those shells, those shells are, are interesting because it's kind of just like, I mean, we're kind of going on a tangent, but whatever. This is interesting. This is interesting info for the, for the, view, for the listeners. Um, uh, wait, what were we talking about? One AR theory, right? Well, um, we're talking about the, the theory, uh, like specific theory that's just like, you can't read these, this set of arguments. Oh yeah. So it's, it's just like, oh, like this, this person did like these three strategic things. Like you can't do that. Yeah. You can't read one contention that talks about cap and one contention that talks about Wilderson and uh, have a value criterion and a value. That's not fair. Yeah. I mean, at at some level, it's kind of uh, gimmicky uh, and and whiny. But at another level, like, I think it's a reaction to... Strategic. Yeah, well, not only that, but I think it's a reaction to a very real problem, which is I remember around my junior year, like... Uh, and this is back when the whole you have to have positively worded interps thing was super popular. Yeah. Uh, and that created so many problems when you tried to call out a debater for being abusive. Because if you word something positively, it'll just end up sounding vague. And then the Scarsdale strat was just to read 15 I meets. No, yeah. You know, uh, their F was abusive as all hell, but, you know, it didn't matter if you could, you know. Yeah, I guess. Up. I mean, but see, the problem with this, it gets into these weird debates, whether like, if you, can you kick a plank? Can you, you know, what parts are you extending out of the standard that's consistent with the plank that you're extending? You know what I mean? Like, it gets yeah. weird there. That's fair. I think that's another thing that's, that's this is what I, I was talking to my brother about this, that I think that um, this multiple shells bad argument that a lot of people read in the 1AR, I just think it makes no sense. Because I think, if you think about it, there's a world in which there can be one shell and and still have exactly the same arguments and still the exact strategy skew of reading two shells. So I'll give you an example. You say, you, the person reads two off and says, uh, A interpretation, debaters may not read nibs. And the second interp is, A interpretation, uh, debaters must disclose their arguments. Okay, there's no difference in strategy for someone reading those two shells or someone reading the one shell that says, debaters may not read nibs, and must disclose. 
Well, the difference is that, in theory, you shouldn't be able to click, kick out of one of those planks on that interp. So well, you have, well that, assumes, you have, that assumes that you can kick out of one of those planks. Why wouldn't you be able to kick out of one of those planks? Because that, because that's just kicking out of your interp. Your interp said and, right? You're, nothing about your interp. Okay, so what about, what about just not going for that plank as opposed to kicking for it? Like, oh, okay, but, I so, have defense. Yeah, so you, you could, for instance, go for the Nibs offense, but if they have offense back to disclosure, that's still a disadd to the interpretation as initially proposed, right? Yeah. So in, in that world, it, I think it's a meaningful disadd. Uh, dis, uh, it's, it's the same thing as if you had read one, uh, I guess, like one counterplan versus two counterplans. They're, you know, in both situations, they're both condo, and the one counterplan is just combining the two, right? Uh, it, it's still a marginal difference in the sense that they're not independent entities, and so you couldn't if you front if you load a bunch of offense on one of the planks in a situation where it's one one counter plan, uh, that offense sticks if they go for the if they go for either plank of the counter plan. Whereas in a world where it's two yeah, separate ones, they can just kick out of the one counter plan you loaded up sure, on. Sure, sure, but imagine okay, but imagine a world in which, yeah, that's that's fair, that's fair. But imagine a world in which you just have. Uh, like for those two planks, someone just puts defense on both arguments, and you just extend one of the pieces of defense. Like, what's what's wrong about that? I mean, sure. I, I don't. I don't know how real. It, like, like it's hard. They're, it's hard they're only playing hard, defense hard on theory. I don't know. They're probably losing yeah. anyways. Well, I mean, let's say you have turns also, though. I mean, people put defense. You know what I mean? Wait. So I don't know. In what world would the defense largely take out the offense? Are you saying it's bad to? The practice of conceding one piece of defense but not conceding the other piece of defense is bad. No, I don't. I'm confused. What are you saying? You're kicking out of a plank by conceding defense because I don't yes. think that's how that works. You're 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 kicking. You're conceding defense to the standard that that plank happens to link back to. I don't think that makes that doesn't make sense if you think through it through an example, right? So in the Nibs disclosure example, right? If you have disclosure, uh, like let's say the the 2N in this instance, right? Because it's one of your theory. Let's say the 2N in this instance is making a bunch of disclosure bad arguments, right? And it's also placed defense on, let's say, like disclosure produces better engagement. Uh, let's say like debaters will never engage because they're bad at debate and engagement this is never going to happen. I don't know. Bad defensive argument. But you can't concede that to get out of a disclosure bad argument that says it hurts small schools. Those are logically unrelated because the way the plank works of an interp is it's functionally an advocacy. It's not an advantage, right? You could kick yeah. out of an advantage theoretically sure. with defense, but you can't kick out of the advocacy of saying debaters yeah. must disclose. I understand that, but, but yeah, yeah. So my point is just that, think about it though. If you, if there's defense on a, pl on a plank of it, then there's just no impact to that plank. So you can still extend the interp and just say, I'm conceding the defense that would implicate this part of it. So that part of it just has no weight. Well, then I guess just explain how that would work in this scenario, right? I've had so, this, so, I have this defense takeout to uh, the predictive or the engagement standard of disclosure. I've, you know, reasons why it doesn't produce more engagement, that's defense. And mm -hmm. I have a small school's disadvantage to the disclosure plank. I don't see how those logically relate. Like, I don't think... I, I just don't get how that, you know, you could cross by well, one to take out well, that no, disadvantage. No, 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 no. Well, those are both defensive arguments to that plank. What I'm, what I'm saying is that if you made those defensive arguments and then went for turns on the, on the nib standard, on the nibs plank, right, and I just responded to your turns but conceded that defense, then it wouldn't matter. I don't think they're both defense. I think small schools is, a, is an offensive disadvantage. Fair enough. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and you, I mean, yeah, if there are only defense on one of the planks, it doesn't matter. 
I, agree. I don't know. It's just it's 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 weird. I'm, I'm I confuse myself. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, this, we this, way this, this way. Just perfectly into our next section, <laughs> our next segment, which is big questions debate. Sounds kind of sick. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really does. This uh, this segment is brought to you by the National uh, Speech and Debate. So just kidding, it's not. Uh, but wait, no. Really this is really actually wet. this is actually a random segment. Uh, but Paul and I were uh, talking yesterday, and, and we just randomly started talking about big. We were planning this podcast, and we just randomly started talking about big questions debate. And we like we looked into it, and it sounds like a way better version of LD. <laughs> to me okay i'm not i'm not willing to go that far I, yet I'm, Maybe. I'm right now right now big questions debate stock is a penny stock and i'm trying to buy this penny stock yeah so buy low, cash buy out big yeah because it, it this this activity is going to skyrocket within the next couple of years you can guarantee you that so so for our for our listeners that aren't don't really know what big questions debate is it's actually really interesting paul can you pull up the speech times um, yeah, yeah, I'll do so, that right So now. just to talk, just to basically give my take on it is, it's pretty much like LD. Oh, it's by the way, where we haven't really figured out, based on the information online, we haven't been able to figure out if big questions debate is teams or if it's individual. <laughs> um, it's not very bright. Individuals <laughs> debate teams. So it's a little bit unclear uh, about what the format in that regard is. It does seem mostly teams, though. I will say there are more teams than individuals. There, but there have been some Mavericks, yeah. So anyways, yeah. it's basically just like a non-normative version of LD. It's basically like if you thought about how if LD is a debate about ethics. Um, so there's three branches of, of philosophy uh, in, in philosophy departments, usually. Uh, metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics. Those are like the three, you know, um, kind of things that people study in philosophy. And God damn, you're really shafting aesthetics, man. Oh, yeah. Where's, where's I guess the... aesthetics. Who cares about aesthetics, dude? That's a different department. That's not in philosophy. Um, no, it yeah, could be. You can have philosophy of aesthetics, but I don't think... Whatever, that's a conversation for another time. Um, but if, if, you were, if you were to kind of think of uh, LD as the ethics branch of that, I kind of think of big questions debate as the kind of metaphysics epistemology kind of debate about that people that don't know what metaphysics and epistemology are metaphysics is kind of just uh, the study about what things are uh not necessarily in the physical world or it's like about the nature or the fundamental nature of things um uh like like why we see certain things uh do certain things exist stuff like that um and uh epistemology is just the study of knowledge and learning um so that's just kind of investigations and in how we kind of understand things, that that kind of stuff, or it can be. Yeah. Like how, think, how do you how do you know something is true, basically? Right. Like, what does that mean? Um, and I think big questions debate is just like I don't know. It's just it just kind of covers that kind of stuff. So what's the what's the topic? What's this topic? Uh, the topic is I think resolved. Uh, science leaves no room for free will. Uh, I might yeah, get the wording uh, slightly wrong. That that's a lot. That's a lot to unpack. It's a, big, it's a big question. I'm not about to. It's I'm not about to. Question. I'm not about to give a topic analysis about this. But uh, just yeah, it's just it just. I don't know. Just to me, it sounds kind of cool because you could just all you're talking about is like determinism for like a whole topic. And yeah, just, and and those are the kinds of debates that were more popular in LD. Uh, really, how a lot of non-normative philosophy got 
employed back in the day was as uh, tricks, kind of like permissibility triggers or reasons why skepticism was true, uh, things of that nature. And a lot of that no longer really has a place because that style of debate has fallen out of favor and there's not really a good, uh, yeah, I mean, a moment of silence, really. <laughs> a, mo- a, moment <laughs> of sil- a moment of silence for the Dick and Shine Big Book card. Yeah, uh, right. But that 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 you know, sort of branch of or those branches, really, the rest of philosophy besides ethics has fallen out of favor uh, as we've gotten further and further away from that style of debate. And I think this is a really interesting opportunity to bring that uh, area of the library, so to speak, back uh, into play and and to have you know high school students really digging deep into yeah. some big questions of you know, that yeah. So what's the has. format? Have you pulled up the format? I have pulled out the format. The format is as follows. Uh, we begin with, uh, so basically, Af and Neg speaks in turn. So I'm going to go like, yeah. Uh, it's going to be five minutes, five minutes, then three-minute question segment. Then four minutes, four minutes, three-minute question segment. Three minutes, three minutes, two minutes, two minutes. And then over all of that, you get five minutes prep time. Uh, and Af always speaks first for each of those you know, segments, and Neg always speaks last. I just think it would be so cool to have an LD round like that where with those times with LD judges where you ask questions like this and you just shit spread. Um, <laughs> I think it's a great idea. Apparently, we're getting word that um, this event was created by Lauren Burt. <laughs> so, really? shout out to Lauren Burt. That's what that's yeah. what my sources are saying. I mean, and she's... Wow, she, breaking, breaking news. Do you have to play the breaking news? Wow, breaking news. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> we're getting word. Uh, yeah, anyway, so it's, it sounds super cool. I think it'd be cool to uh, do it, like, with LD judges uh, and, like, just shit spread and stuff. And we were talking about it. There, there, there seems to be a place for topicality in this event. Oh, yeah. What the hell does the does, – wait, what was the topic? It was – Science uh, leaves no room for free no will. Room. What the hell does it mean to leave no room? What, as opposed yeah. to leaving some room for free will. <laughs> and well, beyond that, like, what is free will, right? Because that's actually, yeah, well, that if you're if you're familiar with the determinism debate, uh, or yeah. you know, debates surrounding free will, compatibilism is basically just a way, like, various ways of figuring out how to conceive of free will in a world where our actions are physically predetermined, right? That's that whole branch right. of philosophy right. that's so, the like, solution to this some problem, people, some people. which is a definition. Some people uh, get confused with some people because of how it's run in LD think that determinism uh, means that we we cannot control any of our actions, and that's just not true. Determinism just means that every determinism's definition is just that everything is caused by something else. Uh, the, what people are, uh, confuse us with is fatalism, which is the much more radical belief that we're not responsible for anything. Like like a lot of utilitarians now, a lot of philosophers now are determinists like most 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 are believe it or not they just believe that you can still impact your arguments your your decisions it's just that they have a cause something in the empirical world caused it so a lot of empiricists believe that a lot of consequentialists believe that um yeah and unrelated to this specific topic but there's also interesting arguments to why you can be like there's still a place for normativity even if you don't have free will or control right like for instance uh you can still call a car bad even though a car has no control over whether or not it's a bad car, right? So the normative judgments can still apply to things that don't have free will. Um, right. But regardless, that's we're getting super sidetracked now. Yeah. This uh, is a tangent on a tangent. Uh, who cares, dude? This is what it's about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're just free-flowing, um, man. We got go with the flow. No, dude, this big questions thing, I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's, at a, it's at about 
it was at a penny stock. It's at a nickel right now, and it's it's gonna be sky high. It's gonna it's gonna be a Fortune 500 stock. So I'd say I'd buy in now. If you're a coach listening to this, start a big questions program. Yeah. It sounds. I don't know. It just it just sounds like a cool event. I want to coach a big questions team. Yeah, because I mean, I want to talk about determinism with kids. And I think a lot of I mean, at least people from you know, our kind of generation of uh, LD debate, but also even before that, right? A lot of people are interested in non-normative aspects of philosophy because, you know, there's a whole, philosophy is a cool subject and there's so much more to it than just, you know, ethics. Um, So, I mean, it's a really cool opportunity to get kids exposed to philosophy more generally beyond uh, ethical questions. For sure. Cool. Well, I think... uh that uh that's enough on <laughs> yeah that's, that's, that's enough, enough on big questions debate um that's enough to get us our nsda sponsorship yeah yeah <laughs> next thing you know we're gonna be sponsored by the nsdl so bring it on um yeah so i think um yeah i think we can talk about um judge adaptation but first i just want to talk about um i want to pay another tribute to our sponsor national symposium for debate there's this cool thing um, that they're doing that you can check out on NSD Update. Uh, they've created these really cool comprehensive NSD briefs, um, which have a lot of uh, awesome people that have spent a lot of time kind of crafting them to explain certain areas. Like there's a, there's a, um, I believe there is a critiques one. Um, there is a, what other ones are there? I have no idea. There's a critiques one. We gotta ask our sources. Yeah, uh, we're get we're getting this information. Uh, there's a there's a analytic philosophy one, uh, and um, I don't know. I can't remember the other ones, but check it out. They're they're pretty awesome. Uh, analytic philosophy, critical race theory, and high theory, which which are sweet. Uh, so check it out. Um and yeah, but yeah, now I just kind of just want to get into uh, judge adaptation. Uh, which this isn't really an educational thing about how to adapt, although you could take lessons from this. This is just kind of um, talking about experiences that kind of we've had with judges and kind of what, what our take on adaptation is. Um, yeah, so, Paul, I know you have yeah, to... yeah, I can start us off. Uh, one thought that I've had consistently, and and, you know, my thought here has really changed from when I was a student, uh, something I've noticed more and more over time. When I thought I was a, when I was a student, what I thought adaptation meant was like I have a K judge, like I have rebar in the back. I'm reading a K, right? Or I have shouts you know, out rebar. Yeah, shout outs, dude's the man. Um, or you know, I have I have like uh, Emily Massey in the back. I'll read Kant, or you know, something of that nature, right? Where it's just like pure content ad- adaptation. And that's a very basic way of understanding uh, what judges prefer to hear. Uh, I think they're beyond like if sort of if there's sort of like a axis that you can place a judge that's content. Uh, I think there are axes that are run, you know, perpendicular to that axis that have nothing to do with their content preferences, but as you refer to your debate style in a more, uh, in, I guess, a more technical sense, like literally how you perform the function of developing an argument and presenting it. So one big split that uh, I, I, you know, think I see a lot is sort of positional versus layered, uh, right? Some judges really prefer that you take a strong positional advocacy uh, and you defend it from start to finish, right? So this, uh, is like, you, this is like, and this is just like people going for the F 
Like, yeah, exactly. Right. It's people going for the app. It's it's the one off case strategy. Uh, it's it means you know you're really just trying to have like an NCAC debate essentially. Although now uh, I'm saying I literally pretty much can't think of a a judge that's prepped on the circuit that's not fine with two off neg strat like as in like critique theory or like topicality, uh, not theory topicality just because topicality has just had such a it's just grown so much in LD. Uh, it's it's very very hard to find a judge uh, that isn't okay with that strat. Um, yeah, I mean, okay with is one thing, but like I personally, like I'll be the first to admit, like I'm not, like I'll, I'll obviously vote off layered strategies, but like you know, in my heart of hearts, what I'm really looking for when I watch the debate, like I would love to see just like you throw down on your your guns, right? Like you you stick with them and you're you're, you're just you know you're battling it out with two well developed positions and you clearly demonstrate that you've done research on a particular position and can defend it well. Right. Uh, and I think, and I, I think that exact reasoning, Paul, brings up a really interesting point, which is that you you have there's a certain perception of what kind of content judges like, right? Like people think that you like certain content. I don't even know what your like thing is. Like people think I just people like, people think I'm like, people think I like the K. People think I just hack for a priori's or whatever the hell people think these days. I don't know. But you do. But um, you do. I mean, if they wouldn't think that if you didn't. Yeah. True. <laughs> um, no, but – and it's just like – it's like, yeah, uh, maybe, Paul, you are actually just a K-hack, but, but you'd obviously vote on uh, other stuff. So it's like – it's almost like it's, a, it's, it's too much on the content for a lot of judges because a lot of judges just want to see. Like I've, the best advice I've ever gotten in debate was just do what you are good at. Just yep. do what you are good at. Uh, I think there's obviously some caveats to that. There's some judges where you just cannot do certain things. And obviously, that's just, that's just that it is how it is. Yeah. Uh, but I think for the most part, I think the philosophy of do what you're best at and just try to explain it or persuade the judge is so important. I think there's so little placed on persuasion. I... Even on the technical level, it is so pivotal and critical to be able to persuade your judge. I, I vote on the flow, right, or whatever. I like to think so. But I can be persuaded. You know what I mean? It's a certain, yeah. it's a certain intangible uh, that is just about communicating. And I think Rebar uh, says this very well. Um, and he, Rebar actually gave this lecture. Uh, Paul, I think you were telling me about this even. Uh, what was it? The one, the one about sorcery. Within this paradigm, I think is what I was yeah. telling you. Which is just that. Which is just that. Debate is sorcery. There, I'll, there, I'll pull it up. There <laughs> are certain people. Yeah, you pull it up. But there are certain people who can just wave their magic wand and just connect with you, and you can see that, and you notice that, and you think, "Wow, like that's the feeling that the judge has." And any judge will know this when they're like, "Wow, this person just explained super well. I now understand this." Um, and it's this moment of clarity and this moment of kind of this, this pivot in which uh, you are able to get in your judge's head and level with them, you know? And I'm always so big on look at your judge. Look, mm. look, look. I mean, this was easier said for me because I just was, I was really bad at flowing and I never really looked at my flow. I kind of just <laughs> So I guess this was easier for me, but I really stress this to my people. Like, well, my brother, a lot of the time, he uh, he um, just looks at his flow, and he just you know he's very on the line of the line or whatever, and he looks at his flow, and I tell him, look up, see if your judge is even like on the same planet as you, you know, yep. um, because I, 
there's so many times where I've literally just looked at the judge and kind of like, I don't even know, just like convince them. I don't even, I, I know that sounds crazy. Like it's an unexplainable like thing where they just like, you, it's a connection. And yeah. it's, it's what the judges are looking for, I think, on the, on, on the baseline. And beyond that, also you gotta know when you gotta punt, right? Like, oh, yeah. if you if you look up and they're just they're drooling, they're like, yeah. you know, they just or have this blank expression just, on their face, like you blank expression, right? Yeah, you, you gotta punt. You gotta you gotta go to a different argument. They're not buying it. Yeah. Or or no or no or alternatively, you can double down, right? And just like be like, yeah. all right, clearly something I'm doing isn't working. Right. Exactly. Let me just let me use the most basic analogy to like get to you, right? Yeah. Uh, Another thing that I think that is super important and that people take for granted almost uh, is the ability to be able to slow down and just to speak to people as humans, right? And there is definitely persuasion and there is definitely strategy to uh, slowing down to conversational speed and saying something perceptually dominant or you know explaining the roadmap of something or explaining the link chain of something in these slow words. Right, uh, I think definitely that helps for clarity, and and not only that, but word choice and, and framing, right? Like how I, I usually I tell my debaters a lot that you have to be able to like distill your argument in like a sentence that sounds good, like give it a tag that sounds good, uh, because if you can't do that, right, and you're just sort of high, and this is particularly pertinent for my debaters because they all read gibberish authors that that don't say anything, i e k limit. Uh, but you know, like if they hide behind all this, like, uh, you know, high theory terminology, right. They just keep saying like habeas viscous and the vicissitudes of the flesh and the hieroglyphics of the flesh and, and whatnot. Right. Like that, that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't say anything to anyone. Right. Like not until you make it concrete, you've, you've given, you've broken it down in terms that like your mom could understand it. Uh, and that, and this is really speaks to anyone. Because I, I, our kids are, are K debaters, and it's this. This goes to, to. I think this is an important thing for K debaters or positional positional K debaters or not. That if you notice, all the best K debaters, all the best people are the people that you are so good at explaining their position that they don't care what anyone reads against it because they know they can just explain everything against it. Right, they don't care that there's a prep out. They don't care anything about it because they know their stuff better and they can explain it better. Um, and I think that also comes from reading the literature. I think so many people don't read the literature. So many people have not read Red, White, and Black, uh, like that that Gopher Wilderson, um, or or any of that late, right? Like you can read, you can read Sexton or yeah, you know, uh, or uh, Moten, of them, yeah, um, Winters. Winters for sure. I mean, it's just it's just so important to read the lit because then you understand it. Um, that's just my take on it. Um, I don't know. Word. Um, I think I want to I want to go back a little bit to this idea though of different axes beyond content, right? Because at some yeah. level, yeah, it's like it's good to persuade someone, but like, what does that look like differently? Uh, so I think it, 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 this is an interesting bit in the rebar paradigm right uh i think yeah one of the lines in his paragraph about sorcery is whether you convince me through technical perfection or excellently selected rhetoric the outcome is the same in that i believe the stuff you say works the way you say it works and yeah you have multiple paths but some judges are more persuaded by certain paths right uh there you know as as persuasive as you are in front of certain judges a conceited line by line argument 
will outweigh that you know persuasive prowess, right? right. Uh, and on the other hand, you know, in front of me, I think it's far more important to be winning big picture persuasive arguments, and that can overcome a lot of concessions on the line by line. I think that's sort of a sliding scale that a lot of judges have, where you know they're more on the uh, side where you can compensate for line by line deficits uh, through a bigger picture, you know, persuasive approach, uh, as opposed yeah. to, or, or alternatively, you know, you can have judges who are just have so much trouble getting past a concession yeah. on the line by line. I think there's, I think a great example of that is just like one debater who their speech is gibberish, except there's one argument that's conceded that they go. Yep. For versus another debater who their speech is excellent. They, you understand everything they said. They just concede one argument, right? Like, clearly the person that speaks gibberish has not done the better debating. So it definitely, I understand that sliding scale. Maybe I don't necessarily, I pay more, I think a little bit more to the arguments in the flow, but uh, I think it's definitely, it's, it's important to note. Like, I'm not, I'm not the one people should be looking for. It's judges in general, um, so. <laughs> no, dude, right. you, you're, you're the best judge. I don't, have, I don't really even judge anymore. Though I'm That's making, true, you I'm don't. Making, you really I'm don't. I'm making my comeback at TOC. I'm making my comeback at TOC. Dude, do not this prep this man. He has not judged all year. I suck. All man. year. Uh, it was it was incredible. At NDCA last year, oh my god, this is so funny. Uh, I don't know. Lake Highland doesn't... I, I was judging for Lake Highland, and Lake Highland doesn't usually go to NDCA, but it happened to be in Orlando, uh, which is where Lake Highland is. Uh, so my brother and, and another sophomore last year went, so I just went. And I got to just go home, and it was sweet. And I got paid, and I did not judge one round. I actually judged, I was in for six rounds. And I did not judge, I only judged one flight. I judged the last flight of the tournament, and I judged no out rounds. And it was great. So wow. no, no one prepped me. That proves it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, don't know how we got to that. Uh, well, not prepping you is how we got to that. And... The sliding scale, the sliding scale of like tech to persuasion, and there's just so many of those, right? Like, does your judge prefer like dealing with a lot of flows, or are they comfortable with that? I think because I don't think any judge is like, yeah, bring on seven off, like three new ones in the one era. Like, I don't think anyone likes that. But some judges are way more comfortable with that than others, uh, and other judges would much prefer you just pick something and run with it, right? Uh, what are I don't know. What are some other like sliding scales that aren't content related? Um, speed, like, yeah, speed. Like, like a well, that's, like that's, willing to backflow, like literally, like willing to backflow yeah. for you. Yep, is a complete sliding scale. Uh, so many judges and young judges I've noticed uh, are willing. I mean, it's it's okay. Here, I'll put it this way: I've seen a lot of young judges also that have just taken them and been like, "No, I didn't flow that one ar. Like, I'm not giving you that credit for when you just said gibberish." And then there's also judges that are like, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm, I don't want to fault you for the arguments that you made and that I just didn't hear. I'm willing to look at the speech documents backflow for you. Um, I don't know what the right, what the correct answer to that is. I think it's a little bit, I think it's somewhere in the middle, like all sliding scales, to be honest. Um, but it definitely brings into the, the ontological nature of <laughs> the activity. <laughs> is, it a, is it a speech activity? Man, you you really been flexing your Bowdoin philosophy training, child. Yeah, yeah. See me at the philosophy department. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm one of I'm one of seven Bowdoin philosophy majors. <laughs> He's the golden boy, so I hear. Oh yeah, um, but yeah. Anyways, uh, it just really makes you think about what what debate is, whether it's a speech activity or if it's a strategy activity or etc. Um. 
Yeah, oh, sorry. I, I just thought of another one of those science skills, which is, like, threshold for a warrant. It's, like, a big one. Because uh, some people, I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of debaters, they're just blip fests, or a lot of debaters, they just, like, over-warrant almost, right? They're not efficient enough. And finding that sweet spot where you've spent just enough time for it to pass most people's thresholds for a warrant, and it's different for each judge. Like, I've had judges who have voted off of uh, a semblance of a warrant, whatever that means, uh, right? <laughs> and I, you know, there are plenty of other judges who will be like, "No, that's bullshit. That you didn't, you didn't make. Yeah. You had a claim, you had an impact, no warrant, right?" Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Again, sliding scale. I agree. Yeah. Anyways, um, I guess this pretty much concludes our most recent episode. Um, but yeah, we're back. We're gonna keep producing content. Uh, yeah, we'll hit you guys with some more. We'll get you. We'll get you some guests uh, at some. We'll point. give the goods. We just, uh, but yeah, we just wanted to fill everybody in on uh, what big questions debate is. So, yeah, I mean, buy now. Breaking it's, it's news. It's a buy now mentality for big questions debate. Oh yeah, easily. Oh, Stock man. is rising. Stock is rising. So, <sighs> anyways, yeah. Uh, hopefully, we'll get another episode out to you guys soon. Take care. Yeah. Peace.